episode 298 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Monday, January 18th. I'm Paul Spore, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, we started the rankings today at Rotographs. It's that time of year. I mean, football playoffs are really at their fever pitch. A couple weeks away from the Super Bowl. We're really transitioning into baseball. How's it feel? Yay, because it doesn't feel like baseball weather outside here. Um, we are... <laughs> We are below the freezing point here in, in Charlotte metro area. I'm heading to Boston tomorrow morning where they won't see above the freezing point, I don't know, for a month. But all I know is it's supposed to be 25 when I leave tomorrow morning and 25 when I land uh, tomorrow afternoon in Boston. And it's only supposed to hang around there for three days. So, okay. yeah. So just hearing that makes me crawl under my desk um, out of fear. <laughs> I, I figured I'd bring that up just for you because I know yeah. how much you love the cold. Utterly terrifying. It's 60 degrees outside today. And, of course, I wore a jacket. Uh, <laughs> uh, not a jacket. Not a jacket. A coat. I wore a coat for sure when I went out to get lunch because uh, it's only 60. But it's 60 and sunny. I can't really complain, especially when you're dealing with what you're dealing with over there. But uh, we got plenty of baseball to talk about. That will keep us warm. The hot stove is still burning. It's simmering. You know, it, it's kind of it's kind of giving off the heat. It's just not at its fever pitch anymore. But we got some moves to talk about. Of course, always follow us on Twitter at Sporer, S-P-O-R-E-R, at Jason Collette. That's C-O-L-L-E-T-T-E. Please rate and review the uh, the podcast on iTunes. We're up to 229 reviews, tracking at 4.5 stars. Really appreciate the reviews that y'all are giving. One guy gave a five star, but absolutely shredded you and I. But hey, at least we got the five stars. So oh, I love those. That's all right. We, we and we're not even going to talk about it because he doesn't listen to our episodes. So I'll address him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read that over the week. Not having like it. skip Sundays. Not this having is a great it. podcast. Hey. Just skip Sundays. That's, That's right. right. I'm sorry. That's all right. That's all right. Can't get a five star from everybody all the time. I'm totally okay with it, as uh, as you can tell by the fact that I brought it up. That definitely means I'm okay with it, right? Okay, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. All right, we got a few transactions to talk about. We're going to talk some strategy about the outfielder rankings. Um, get some guys that you're maybe a little bit higher on than the group, and a little bit lower on. And we'll take some Twitter questions, and then we'll finish up talking a little bit off topic. One of our favorite shows. Um, I don't know that you and I watch a, a ton of the same TV shows, but there are a few that we very much agree on, and and one that we'll use as a jumping off point is Parks and Recreation. So we'll talk about that late in the episode. But let's dive in. Again, we did get some big moves. These are some high impact moves. One superstar off the board. Couple of you know mid tier players going. Let's start with Chris Davis and these ones are a bummer I mentioned it with the Alex Gordon signing they're a little bit of a bummer from the uh, you know fantasy podcast situation because nothing really changes that much but we definitely have to talk about Chris Davis re-upping with Baltimore gets his money Boris does it again anybody that doubts Boris at this point it's hilarious. You know, we're, we're hearing that 150 is the highest. That's the deal. That's all Davis is going to get. Is he going to get his money? Blah, blah, blah. He got 161 seven years. Um, you well, know, like 37 years, but sure. well, yeah, that's true. That's true. It, it, uh, it, it's a Bobby Bonilla esque situation where he's going to be getting paid, you know, well into the 2030s, actually from 2023 to 2032, it's 3.5 mil and then 1.5 mil from 2033 to 2037. I like it. I don't know. You know, listen, if uh, maybe maybe Chris Davis doesn't trust himself as a money manager and says, you know what, I want to make sure that the, the income's coming in even when I'm not playing. So I don't know. I like it. But in terms of the fit, it's hard to really 
be against this. We've seen what we've seen what he can do in Baltimore. They've kind of made him. They 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 rejuvenated his career when it was looking like he was going to be a failed Texas prospect. And Chris Davis now has had two excellent years out of the last three. And the the, the down one of those, the one in the middle probably has a reason. I mean, he didn't have his, his therapeutic use exemption and well, uh, actually he did, but he failed test. Well, twice. I, I thought he didn't have it that year and then ended up obviously kind of going back on it, uh, you know, and taking it. And that's why he got suspended. Maybe I have the details wrong there. But he had it way, at some point because he failed two tests. You don't got, get suspended on the first one. You get suspended on the second one. He got his exemption back last year and things clicked. And I'm not saying that, you know, Whatever I think it was Adderall. I'm not saying that that's the magic that you know he needs that or else he can't be good. And he's but, on a different one. Sorry, but he's on a different one this year too. Um, it, what he got? It's a it's a longer release. They're, and, they're lesser, yeah, because because yeah. of the situation that what what Adderall can kind of do and, and some of the the effects that it's having. They're trying to move away from that, so they've 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 switched to something different, you know, because they don't want guys abusing it and stuff like that. So. You know, hopefully he's getting all of that situated uh, properly and not putting himself at any sort of health risk. But on the field, again, dominant. Two out of the last three years, Chris Davis has been one of the very best players in the game. Even when you consider the 262 average, it wasn't great last year. You can easily overlook it when you're getting 47 bombs and 117 ribbies. First base and outfield eligibility. I know you recently learned about the latter because I'm with you, though. Even though I knew that he had the outfield eligibility, I'm with you. I cannot recall a single game that, you know, in my head where I flash back and I say, oh, Chris Davis was in the outfield that game. I just always we, we see should him have known as a better, first base. But we should have known better given how much we've ragged on, on Baltimore's outfield situation it's true. coming into this season. But I when I looked and I was like, that has to be an error. Why is he in the three 30 games? I mean, I, I, I couldn't remember three. And I and this is somebody who watches a lot of American League East baseball. I was gonna say he probably <laughs> played some of those games against your team. I guess he just wasn't memorable out there. I go that could be a good thing though, because Probably the only way that Chris Davis is going to be memorable is if he's making gaffes out there. But I think he's actually kind of an okay outfielder. I assume that he'll he'll maybe get a another sprinkling of games out there this year, but but mostly be the primary first baseman. I guess we'll kind of see how that works between he and Mark Trumbo. You could have you probably could have won a twenty dollar bet on me if you would have said, hey, how many did Chris Davis play more games at third base or outfield last year? I'd have been like third base, easy. Or, or outfielder DH. Single. He didn't if play a said, single game at third base. Not a if, single one last year. What if I'd have said outfielder DH? You'd have been like, oh, come on, DH. Probably oh, had easily. 80 games there. Nope, 22, 22 at DH, 30 in the outfield, and 111 at first base. I know so, this is doing nothing for my credibility and everything or my <laughs> show prep, but this, I mean, honestly, I, I was really stunned by that number. Let's, let's we'll even, talk more about Chris Davis later. <laughs> I've, I've, yeah, we, we actually will. So I'm, we're, we're going to move on because we're going to dive into him a little bit more when we talk about the the outfielders. And, and that's a tease. You guys can decide, mm, do you think that Jason is higher on him or lower on him? We'll get to that momentarily. Let's move on to the next big move. And again, we're jumping down a level with these next two moves. They're definitely not as big as Chris Davis, but there might be a little bit more shifting of impact because these guys are both changing teams and leagues. First one is Ian Kennedy gets a five-year deal. Again, since we're talking fantasy, I'm not really that concerned with it being a five-year deal. What we're really focused on right now is 2016 and Ian Kennedy joining that, that Kansas City Royals team. Now, if I told you in that year that Ian Kennedy was, was exploding and, and looking like a Cy Young contender for Arizona, if I had told you that I'm going to get him to San Diego in a couple of years. You'd have been giddy 
because oh, the, yeah. the, the one little flaw that he kind of had, even in that year, and it really wasn't a flaw. He had a 288 ERA um, in that 2011 season, but he had a 0.8 homer rate. That, that was actually a good homer per nine rate for Ian Kennedy. He's, he's used to giving up the long ball. But if I told you, listen, a couple more years in Arizona, then I'm going to get him into San Diego. You say, you know what? That's going to be great. That's going to be absolutely awesome. And it didn't really work out. He wasn't great with San Diego. In fact, he was worse than he was with Arizona just by raw ERA. 397 uh, ERA with San Diego in 427 innings compared to a 382 in 748 with Arizona. So that didn't necessarily work out. But now you move over to KC. It's another park that does uh, suppress home runs. Um, he's going to have that outfield defense chasing chasing the fly balls down. This is a pretty decent fit, I think, especially because they also don't have to ask him, you know, like as with all their starters, they don't have to tax them. If they're not ready to go that third time through, you just pull them. You're not as inclined as, as say, my beloved Tigers have been in the past few years that when that guy's kind of on, on the border of, eh, you could really take him out um, or maybe push him. The Tigers always have to push him because their their uh, their bullpen is garbage. KC is completely on the other end. They can be ultra conservative. Ah, you're losing a little bit last inning. You're out after five. No big deal. What do you think of Ian Kennedy in the AL as a Kansas City Royal for 2016? And here's the if you know over at the the process report dot uh, net blog that the Rays blog that I um, co-write with Jason Hanselman, another J. It, this was he, he put an article about pitcher evaluation, not looking at the Rays in general, just looking at pitchers where he called out some Rays. But this this these were his exact words about halfway through that article. Ian Kennedy is a free agent that is still available. And as you can see, he's near average in walks, but is very, very highly rated at getting punch outs. His balls in play are brutal. And that stems from all of those line drives and fly balls. I've long thought he would be a perfect fit for a team like the Royals that turn those hard hit balls into outs more often than other teams. This was 48 hours before Ian Kennedy signed with Kansas City. <laughs> you know, so th- th- all those arguments make sense. Really good pitcher's park, but he was coming from a really good pitcher's park. Mm-hmm. But the defense is, you you can't ignore that. We know that the Lorenzo Cain and company are just ball hawks out there, and everybody is coming back. So the same defense that you loved last year is going to be there again. Uh, yes, I, I like Ian Kennedy in this. If he's going to stay in San Diego in a mixed league, he's end game. I'm going to move him up you know, one and a half to two rounds because of the situation he's in uh, with the defense, with the ballpark. And for the same reason you talked about um, with, with not having to go through, he's got a better bullpen behind him. And I'm looking through, uh, if you look at his numbers, he really hasn't been, you know, his, his overall numbers haven't been that terrible. When you look at first, second, third time through it, 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 for his career, his first time through 250 batting average again, second time through 242 third time through 263. So he hasn't been that bad. And even when he's been left in, albeit this is only 149 play appearances, 201. But that said, you can set him up strategically. He hasn't pitched in the American League either. So that's one thing that we're going to have to get accustomed to uh, here for a little bit. So even the gains that he may get from a few of the home runs staying in Kansas City, he's probably going to lose just because of the AL baseball jump. It is going to be a little bit tougher over there. That's a good call. The skills are there. There, there are some nice skills. And honestly, when you, when you have a skills profile like Kennedy's, I feel like – and you don't want to bet on, on getting all the breaks, but it's not hard to envision you know, another spike year and left on base rate like he had in 2011, and all of a sudden you – know, I'm not saying 288 ERA again, but if he spikes – he was at 72% left on base rate last year, which is average. If he's up at 75, 74%, 
he can get back into the mid threes, and I'll take mm-hmm. that with a strikeout per inning. So I like Kennedy here. I think it is a good move. I think your points about um, the outfield defense kind of being mitigated by the move to the AL, that makes sense. So it's still going to really come down to how many guys are on base when he allows those homers because he's going to allow some, and then the volume of homers. So a, a I decent mean, a, gamble. A, a 72 left on base rate is amazing with a 1.7 home run per nine. It, exactly. Amazing. That's- it, it, it's really impressive that he was able to do that. So it just got to keep the ball in the yard. It tells me a lot of, it tells me a lot of solo shots. I'm going to, I'm going to look that up here real quick, but when you, that's what, cause I was looking at Kennedy just the other day, uh, I had to do a, a player write up. That was one of the things that st- stood out to me. It's like, how the hell did he strand that many runners with that kind of home run rate? I mean, that's it, unless they were just all solos and I forgot to look it up then, but I'm looking at uh, what do we got here? Men on base, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So twenty-four. Uh, I'm sorry, twelve of the thirty-one home runs were with a man on base. So nineteen solo shots. Dang, that's a lot. Um, yeah. that's a lot. So we, we're looking at somebody like Kennedy. In the last three years, his walk rate has gone down, but the homers are, are an issue. Do you think maybe? And I. Darren I don't know how to quantify it, but yeah, is it is it a situation where maybe walk a few guys, maybe walk a few more guys um, instead of throwing those meatballs, or is it a situation where that would actually exacerbate it because now if he walks a couple guys and still has the home run issue, all of a sudden they are multi shots. I I don't know on him. Uh, for example, but I see some of these guys who have these big home run rates and these tiny walk rates, and I'm thinking. Maybe you don't have to be so willing to to chuck it in the zone and lay that meatball up there. I still think Kennedy has has a spike year, another spike year in him, another like 3.30 ERA. That's what would qualify as a spike year right now. I'm not I'm not saying a 2.88s in the cards for Kennedy, but I do like his his prospects here and. The price isn't very high, so I think that, that that could be a nice investment. And and then if it doesn't work out and he re, he just remains a homer machine that even KC doesn't really help, you can move on. You're no longer investing too high on Kennedy. All right, so 17 of 31 home runs were in Petco last year. 17 of the 31. Now listen to some of the studs that hit home runs off him last year. <laughs> Uh, Mike Zanino. Mike Zanino. I knew it. Had to I rag knew on that was going to be the first one you said. <laughs> Tommy Pham. Sick Chris Jimenez. Uh, Gregor Blanco. Shane Peterson. Shane Peterson. Chris Jimenez. Uh, we may Kyle Kendrick, the pitcher. Kyle Kendrick. Oh, my God. <laughs> Angel Pagan. I think these are some Stubbs, of the guys that took him. These are some of the guys that took him yard. Drew Stubbs is still in the kind of uh, is in the make fun of realm at the at this point. Sure. As a oh, fourth, yeah. Fifth out and even there, at so. San Diego. Yeah. I was going to say that one wasn't even in Colorado. Plus, because um, Drew Stubbs sucks against righties, too. So that's yeah. another reason. Yeah. So, so that one is that that one is actually on a par with like Angel Pagan and, and Shane Peterson. Yeah. I mean, he's just got to be more fine. Kennedy can't be giving up home runs to these kind of clowns. You can give them up to Nolan Arenado, Kyle Seeger, Chuck Peterson, Gong. Uh, Polanco, Marte, Grandal, these guys, that's okay. But some of these scrubs, geez, come on, be a little bit more fine with it. And, and even a lot if you go of them back, come early. I mean, I'm looking at a one. Keep making your point. I'm sorry. Well, to I was going to say, if, if, if even if you go back, this is not a new issue for him. He gives up home runs to guys who should not be hitting home runs. Chris Dominguez, Freddie Galvis, Dom Brown, DJ Lemayhew. Uh, these are all guys from last year. Junior Lake, Chris Parmalee. Well, actually, Parmalee, that's the one thing he does is, is pop. But, you know, it, maybe this is the way it is for, for all guys that have Homer issues. But I'm looking at some of these guys here, and it's just 
You can't be giving up homers to these guys. You just 16 can't. of 31 came in the first three innings of a game. That is interesting. You, so, would, you would think it'd be the other way around. Six, I was going to say over it, half it, his home runs come early when he's supposed to have his best stuff. It's not even that sixth, seventh inning thing that I was talking about earlier than with the bullpen. Actually, once he gets in a groove, he seems ready to go because like you're saying, a lot of these homers are not late. That's interesting. I'm, I'm going to be really intrigued by him this year just to kind of see what he can do because I think he has more talent than he's been given credit for because a lot of people don't like the five-year contract. I keep hearing that he's well, like a placeholder. What I don't like about it is the opt is that it's a player option. So if he sucks for two years, he'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and exercise he's that right. option. Of course. Or he's got the way out of it. That's, that's really the kind of perplexing thing to me. I mean, at least – I mean, they're to, stuck in it either way. So it, to me, it's like it's like Gilmesh 2.0. Exactly. And actually, I believe I saw someone tweet that today is the anniversary of when Gilmesh retired and left that 12 mil on the table. To your point on that, if you're going to give Ian Kennedy five years, a five year deal, which is a really sharp deal when you're when you're going into your age 31 season, I don't think you need to give him any more concessions at that point. No player options, no opt outs, no none of that. Right, remind it's, it's, me of what. Chen went for what, 680? 580 or 590. He went 90? Ooh. Maybe. Because I'm going to say, I mean, why don't you just pony up and go with the guy that definitely would have been your man unless he really wanted, unless he really wanted to go to Miami? Six year, yeah, 580 with a six year vesting option. Okay. Yeah. You know, so. it, maybe if they hadn't, there was a couple of contracts they've done this offseason. I'm like, what? What are you doing? The way Chen survived in Baltimore. Um, and the AL beast with a home run issue of his own, I really think that he should have been a higher target for some teams because getting him out of there and, and he couldn't have gotten a better move when you talk. No, about yeah, it. no, I listened to what I listened to uh, you and Eno talking about yeah, it on from the AL East to yeah, NL East. Huge yeah. move for him. All right, we got one more move to talk about, and that's Alexi Ramirez. We were kind of waiting for these two shortstops here, Ian Desmond and Alexi Ramirez. Those are kind of the two big shortstops still on the board. It felt really. Uh, likely that one of them would go to San Diego and it turned out that way. Alexi Ramirez is going to be the one that that goes to San Diego. Now his fantasy value, it, it, it's not that high because nothing jumps off the page at you. He can, he's got a lot of double doubles, which is uh, 10 plus homers and stolen bases. In fact, all but three of his seasons have that. And one of those seasons had nine homers. Another one of them had seven SBs and then six homers was the other one. So, Two of them were still pretty close. Otherwise, you're kind of getting 12 and 15, 12 homers, 15 stone base. That's kind of what you're getting from him, and then the average fluctuates. The reason that he is valuable, though, especially before last year when the shortstop pool really thickened up, is that he plays. He, he goes out there and plays. And you know that when you draft Alexi Ramirez, you can just leave him in the lineup and you're going to get those numbers at the end of the year. Again, they're not eye-popping. You're not going to feel like, wow, I got a steal for him. But you're going to know that you have a guy that you can put in shortstop and you don't have to go back into the free agent pool and try to replace him. That's always what the problem with Troy Tulowitzki was, is that not only um, you know he's going to get hurt, but then you have to dip into the worst pool on the free agent market to try to replace him. So that's one good thing that you don't have to do with Alexi Ramirez. And even though shortstop has thickened up, it doesn't mean it's super deep to where you want to be going back into the pool to try to replace a guy. So – 
I don't know. I mean, obviously the park change is is substantially negative for him going from U.S. Cellular to Petco, but they did move the fences in. I still think he can get his double-digit home runs. I don't know for sure. I guess I can look it up right now since I'm on his page, but I don't know that he was overwhelmingly – actually kind of was uh, in favor of of hitting the, par- the homers at home, 66 to 43 in exactly the same number of games. So – Mm-hmm. Maybe it's going to be more of the uh, of the ten homers as opposed to fifteen, but I, I don't know. I, I think this is still a guy that if you don't get in on the early good shortstops, you just wait, you take him, you get the volume, and you move on. What do you think of Alexi Ramirez as a San Diego Padre? A, a few things. I think one the the fact that he has played every day at his age is going to work against him. He's thirty four years old. He's played one hundred and fifty eight game 150 plus games in each of the past six seasons i think at at middle infield that works against you uh one of the other things this may be and this may be a topic but the skills are stable one of the things that i can see happening with him you know this is a guy that's gonna hit down the bottom of the order because he can't get on base so if he hits seventh or eighth he's gonna get pitched around so his walk rate may actually go back up which it's true. You know, may more... a little bit and then he can run down and then he can run down at the bottom of the order. Maybe he gets a few more stolen bases because he, uh, he should be on base a little more because his walk rate's going to go up. But so other it... than that, uh, I don't see the one thing. And this may be a topic for, you know, one of the things that stands out to me is if you look, if you look at his batted ball profile, all of a sudden last year, he started hitting a ton of balls back up the middle. Interesting. I mean, he's always been a heavy pull hitter. And then except for like the one year, I, I don't know how stable the, the batted ball percentages are. But if we look at 2013, he was 42 percent pull, 34 up the middle and 24 the other way. And if, if you've spent any amount of time watching Alexi Ramirez, you know, he's never trying to go the other way with a baseball ever. No, right. But last year, 38, 42 percent up the middle higher than he's ever been and and 20 percent for me i'm wondering if this is the time that we start seeing him you know he's having trouble starting to catch up on pitches and now they're going up the middle instead of pull and maybe he starts to exaggerate this my fear i know this is fantasy we're talking year to year but this dude's going to age quickly what what if i can i can i maybe try to silver lining that and 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 put it at spin it as a positive even though i'm not fully committed to it i'm just throwing it out as a maybe if this is his new approach and he becomes more of a slappy hitter, then all of a sudden we start bringing the 280s back into to the view with his batting average. You mentioned the piece about the walk rate maybe going up, adding some steals. So maybe it's only seven to nine homers, but now we're back in the 20, mid-20s uh, stolen base range with a 275 or better average. Is that possible? He's a high, con- he's a high contact hitter. I mean, maybe he goes, um, you know, I'm trying to think. You know, as we talked about Brandon Phillips this past year, where all of a sudden he started running out of nowhere because of a role change um, with him. But he still he still ended up with a double-digit home runs last year with the 12. But the role change, it's going to be a different Alexi Ramirez, even if they move the fences and just, again, that, I, mean, yeah. I have a tough time getting past the age and how many games he's played. It wears That's on fair. you more at middle infield than it does in other positions. That's definitely fair. And and to counter my own point there, he hit it up the middle a whole bunch last year, but it didn't really result in good batting average. He hit a 249. So that was, that was a f- career low actually. So maybe that approach doesn't work at all. And I'm completely full of crap on that one. Um, again, he's, he's kind of your fallback shortstop option. It sounds like for you, he's best served as a middle infielder in mixed. You'd rather get somebody else at shortstop. And I totally understand what you're talking about, particularly with that volume it can be seen as a value like when you're when you're trying to pump him up for a contract say this guy goes out there and plays every day but it's the same thing we see with pitchers the guys who are 
you know, logging all those innings. It, it, it's it's a positive until it's not. Until it then is is saying that your body's beaten up a little bit and you can't you can't answer the bell every day. All right, let's go ahead and talk outfielder rankings. I mentioned that at the outset that we started rankings today over at Rotographs. And we started with outfielders. I want to do the traditional catcher to relief pitcher, uh, you know, model. I want to start with the positions that are a little bit more interesting out front. And I think outfielder is always one of the most interesting positions, obviously. It's always perceived as deep because there are so many stars. But I think usually once you account for the fact that every team needs five in most leagues, I know that there are some – the head-to-head leagues are only three outfielders. But you need five plus – outfielder eligible guys are being used elsewhere it's not necessarily all that deep but uh we got seven guys ranking really interesting stuff i want to start with your initial thoughts on outfield then we'll get into some guys that you're a little bit higher on and a few that you're a little bit lower on um initial thoughts are i like the shuffling around of of the names that are in the top and we're so used to seeing the same guys up there but to see a guy like mookie betts all the way up in the top five is nice it, to see that the youth and, and Pollock's nice season being rewarded, Bautista still hanging around, how how he's doing. I mean, I, I saw when I was reading one of the comments, somebody was like, "Holy crap! Look at the drop off after the top 24." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, you've got, and that's where you've got at 25, you've got Yelich, 26, you've got Ellsbury, but there definitely is the drop off. And, and to think about somebody like Hanley Ramirez, that's down at 29 last year. You know, he was probably a top 12 guy. I oh, didn't look yeah. back at the rankings last year, but everybody was way up on him. Uh, and Adam Eaton being 30, I, I didn't list him as one of my guy as, as one of the guys that I think is too high or too low, only because we've talked about him too much. Same th- thing with Brett Gardner, but there's still I still like a lot of value for that type of player, the Adam Eaton, the Gardner. I mean, these are guys that you know are going to end up on one of my teams just because uh, of the way I like how they contribute all around. And I think while it's definitely top heavy, they're still it's still rather deep. I don't think it's as deep as it has been in the past. But if I can if I can get a piece of, you know, Evan Gaddis way down at 52 overall, different things like that, try to see where, you know, um, Will Myers, if he can bounce back, mm-hmm. Jorge Soler at 56, especially Dexter Fowler at 59. No, he doesn't have a home yet. And you know, it, it's nice to see you have him at 40 and you're higher than everybody else on Fowler. Because, uh, I mean, you're a good 12 spots ahead of every, uh, everybody else on Fowler. I thought he would be perfect for Kansas City. They weren't listening to me. Um, I thought he'd be, you Jerks. know, we'll see where he, I don't know where he's going to end up. I don't know what his Tigers. job is. Tigers. Well, sure, put him there and that would be great there too. I'd but, be okay with that. Seriously, what are his opportunities at this point? What's left? I, I, I Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. We're talking about all these teams, you know, like um, Chicago. Uh, I, I guess I got to have to specify. White Sox, Angels are teams that have been mentioned. Obviously, Baltimore has been a team that's been mentioned. I think they're probably out now that they have uh, that they have Chris Davis because they have Davis and Trumbo. One of them will be playing in the outfield. So the thing of it is, even with those teams that we mentioned, there's still Justin Upton and Yoannis Cespedes, and we keep putting and those here's, guys here's on thing. those teams. You hear the Astros mentioned with Cespedes. For the next four years, who would you want, Cespedes or Fowler? For the next four, I, I feel like Fowler could age a little bit better, to be honest. Same. Is that crazy? Okay. Same. I, I really, I, I love Cespedes, and it does feel, it, it's starting to feel a little bit like Mike Illich is just going to say, go out and get Cespedes. And I would not be mad as a Tigers fan, for, particularly in the short term. 
but it just feels like he's not going to age. I mean, you're talking about a guy who um, had to sub 300 OBP for two years before last year. So, you know, when we're when we're really looking at Cespedes' game, it, it doesn't look primed to age all that well. Um, meanwhile, somebody like Fowler, you know, he's got a 363 career OBP. The dude has a double-digit walk rate every single year. The lowest Fowler's ever had is 11 percent. Um, his lowest, you know, his lowest OBP. He's never been below 340 in a full season. And his and his pop, uh, his his power jumped a little bit last year uh, with the with the career high 17 homers. If he kind of hits a little bit more of a power streak as he ages, maybe runs a little bit less, and 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 translates that with his OBP that he has and, and the walk rate capability, I think he could age pretty gracefully. So I actually do like him a little bit better than Cespedes because I'm also accounting for the fact that the price difference is going to be sharp as well. Uh, to your overarching point about liking some of these guys that are later, I, I agree with you. Like I said, I don't think that – what I like to push back on is when people just say, oh, outfield's deep without really giving it a look um, – to, to explain it. I think it's it, it's an assumption that if you just make, you're going to be wrong. But when you do look at it and you and you start to kind of get down there, there's a lot of guys that I that I like. You named a few of them, but I, I'm actually kind of uh, getting a little bit excited about somebody like a Kevin Pillar. I know I had my my hilarious gaffe in Arizona where I, um, you know, that centered around Pillar and, and what I thought was a mispick that wasn't. But I go back and look at him and I'm feeling a lot of AJ Pollock kind of feel to, to him. Michael Conforto, somebody that I like. I still like Melky. He's our boy, you know, and he bounced back in the second half. He really kind of got back on track. There are guys down here that, that you can get and, and be happy with. It's just that that star pool, there is a drop off. It, it doesn't kind of smooth into these guys that we're talking about. It just goes from star, 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 star to mid-level. There's no kind yeah, of semi-star right. in the but middle. But the mid-level goes kind of, I mean, like, like with Gerardo Parra going to Colorado and he's the 73rd overall guy. Nobody had him higher than 60. I was, and I know he's, I know he's going to, I know he's on the strong side of a platoon. He shouldn't play against lefties, yeah. but you know, why is, you know, that that's pretty deep. And even Colby Rasmus staying there in Houston coming off the year he had, mm-hmm. I mean, there's still some nice rebound candidates uh, that, that are, all over this list. Well, and, and and one of the guys that are that I really like, and I didn't mention him on purpose because he is one of your guys. He's your second of of the two guys that you like. Let's go ahead and, and talk about those. You hinted that one of them uh, we might have already spoken about. So let's talk about Chris Davis as one of the guys that you're higher on. We got two guys for that and two guys that you're a little bit lower on. Let's start with Davis as somebody that you're higher on. He checked in at. 21. 21 with a high of 15 by both Mike Podhorser and Brad Johnson and a low of 29 from Jeff Zimmerman. I was right there uh, kind of in the middle at 22 and um, so Zach was at 23. Dan was at 18 and then um, the new Paul, Paul Costava was also at 22. So, you know, there wasn't too much dissent about him, but how high do you like Chris Davis off of that 21 rank? I mean, to me, he's still one of the handful of guys that I know it's going to hit 40 bombs uh, and that you can just pencil that in. Uh, are you pairing for, him with like a Nelson Cruz then? Are you getting him up there in those in those low teens? Because I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I can hear that. What, what, so when I'm looking at him, you know, what if I try to shuffle around, he's definitely in my top 12. Okay. Uh, I could move I could move Blackman out of there uh, to get to make room for him easily. Uh, and that's where that's kind of where I put him now in the top 12. 
probably put him right there at the top 10, right behind, right behind Bautista. The position flexibility is always nice to have to be able to move him around like that, but he's still in the park. The, the park's always been good for him. One of the things I liked about Davis last year, he started using the other field more. He's got power to all fields, but if you overshift him, it's not, it's not the automatic out that it was. Um, that that he was in 2014. He's and still going to strike out, but who cares? Because he's still he's using all parts of the field now. He's I mean, he can hit home runs to anywhere, um, and he can hit line drives to anywhere. I just when I watched him play last year, you know, if you don't if you pitched him to the outside where he used to try to hook around the baseball and roll into the shift, if you pitch him away, he's going to hit it away. You know, if you get that change, even if it's a changeup off the plate, I've seen him hit changeups off the plate off the left field foul pole. That's the kind of thing. If he if he stays back and does a better job when he stays back like that, instead of looping around on it and just hits it to the other field, that's where the improvement was uh, for him last year. And so, and I think that's the difference. Even though he had the big year in 2013, I just mm-hmm. I liked what I saw more of him at the plate last year. And I think I'd be I'm not going to fault anybody if Chris Davis doesn't make it out of the second round of your draft. I'm not going to say that's an overdraft. Um, you know, because the power is there. And even though last year, what we have like eight 40 home run hitters, we had the spike in power last year after a multi-year decline. I still don't, I mean, this guy to me, he's not getting out of the third round. I can, I can totally listen to that. And, you know, as, as you talk it over, I think I, I might be too low on him just because of the guys that I have ahead of him that aren't that different. I mentioned Nelson Cruz, who I have all the way up at nine. Um, somebody like a JD Martinez, you know, Martinez hasn't reached the heights of power that that uh, that Davis has, and they're both obviously batting average uh, risks because of their strikeout rates. So, I, I think you're right. I think I might have. I think I might have him too low if I'm going to have those other guys up there. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens when I make uh, when we make some changes. I'm not going to make changes like right now and and be updating it every day right now. These, these will stand, and then we're going to do the update in February, and then we'll probably do uh, two updates in March. But uh, obviously more news on that as, as it rolls out. But I can definitely listen to you on that on that Chris Davis being higher, again, because of the guys that he's around. Uh, they're very similar. Let's talk about the other guy that you're high on. This one's a little bit lower, and I'm glad you went with one guy who's high and one guy who's a little bit more of the mid-tier or lower Um and it won't surprise too many folks because he's on your favorite team, but I don't think that that should be, uh, you know, held against you or anything. I, I really like this guy, and I actually very interested to hear what you have to say about Kevin Kiermaier because he is one of these mid, uh, mid to late round guys that I think could take a spike. And I've been talking about this now for a year plus. Love these guys who have exemplary defense that keeps them in the lineup and kind of gives them a chance to learn how to how to hit. You know, get better, get the reps. Brandon Crawford was one of the one of the guys that I really loved for that last year, and and, and it panned out nicely. Um, Pilar actually kind of fits that as well, and he established himself as a defender last year and and had some spikes of hitting. Kiermaier, probably a better defender to be honest in center field. Same kind of deal, a little bit of pop, a little bit of speed. Didn't do much with the triple slash, 263 and 298 OBP. But it looks like he's learning. What do you think of a 26-year-old Kevin Kiermaier next year, or this year, I should say? I think I've said this a few times with him. Honestly, there is there are there's 30 points of batting average improvement in Kevin Kiermaier if he could learn how to do two things in his game. One is bunt. Okay. He is a terrible <laughs> bunter. And and two, lay off the high fastball. 
These are two things. If you watch him play, uh, you don't see him bunt that often because he just doesn't do it well. But this is you, you could work on this in spring training. That's a skill that somebody could pick up and how to do right. Mm-hmm. Laying off the high fastball is something every now and then he gets one and tomahawks it. And he's like, yeah, I'm good. And then he'll like go <laughs> 0 for 40 on that pitch. And when you play in Tropicana Field, I mean, you have to really get it if you're going to hit it out the center field. You can tomahawk and pull one if somebody gives it to you. But the high fastball, his numbers are God awful. And I've written about this at the process report, talked about it, showing if, if he gets fastballs down in the zone, crushes it, anything letters high, he can't lay off it. If he would stop swinging at those pitches, it, especially when he's ahead in the, I've seen him go after that. If you're Oh two, you know, whatever you have to do, if you got to protect this top of the strike zone, do sure. It. But if you're even in the count, if you're ahead in the count, Stop swinging up there. But the scouting report knows it because you watch them pitch and they try to work him high, work him high and then and go low with the off speed, uh, but lay off it. But they're going to keep feeding it to him until he does it. But if he were to come into spring training saying, look, I'm going to go up there and I'm bunting every single plate appearance early on. And if he gets fined $20 every time he chases a, fa- a fastball at the letters in a, in a non two strike count, and one of these things, if that could happen he could hit 290 to 300 and keep the other skills. He was running really well last year in the second half of the season. All of a sudden he decided, okay, I'm going to be a better stolen base guy. And he was doing a lot of that. I mean, we know he can fly around the bases, but he looked like a good stolen base guy in the second half of the season, sort of started figuring out guys moves and everything. But I'm telling you, there's a, there's a 290, 30 stolen base season stuck in that body Oof, somewhere. I like that. If he just, if he stops, if he stops trying to hit home runs and stops trying to hit, hit those fastballs that he doesn't do anything with. The best part about that is speed was down last year. So if we can get somebody who's a, a, a kind of a new speed asset. Yeah. He ran last year, 18 stolen bases, but you got to be like 25 plus to be a, a, you know, a premium speed asset. So if you're talking about adding 12 stolen bases there, that could be huge. And to your point, 588 OPS on pitches in the upper third, 746 on pitches in the middle and lower third. If he can just improve there, that could, that could really uh, drive him and, 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 and send Kiermaier upward. Any more pop in the bat? He's hit 10 homers each of his last uh, – each of his two seasons as a major leaguer. He hit 10 in, in 108 games that first year and then just hit another 10 um, despite playing about 50 more games last year. Is, is there more pop there or, or are we just banking on we'll take the double digits. We're actually looking more for speed and average. He's got power. Okay. I, I've, seen, I've seen him take it to the back rows of right field. He has power. But like I said, then he starts getting then he starts getting a little too happy worthy. with it. Okay, right. I, the trade off. Yeah, so, I, I'd rather ahead. he not focus on trying to muscle up. I agree with you. Let's focus more on making tons of good contact, um, even better contact. You know, eighteen percent strikeout rate. We'll take that, but he can definitely make more. That's the thing. Here's the thing. One of the things, you know, listening to the radio broadcast, I was uh, listening one night. This was uh, late late July and I was listening to the radio broadcast and Dave Wills talked about, he was talking to a scout before the game and the scout said Kiermaier had enough pop to hurt himself at the plate. I mean, he said he could thrive, he could thrive as a slash and dash type of player, but he's got enough pop where he to, gets to one. Think he he's thinks better. he can do more. Yes. Yep. yep. That, I, Play, I knew you know, exactly what you meant when old, you said You hear that. the old cliche play within yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what again, it comes. if yep. he could just, 
bunt and lay off the high pitch, I'm telling you, there's a 290 to 330 steal season in this guy. It, it sounds like a trite phrase when you hear it so often, but that that's a good example of what it means. Don't try to be something that you're not. You don't have to. Maybe you could hit 15 bombs, but if you do it with a 230 average, what's the point? I agree with you. I do like Kiermaier as well. I think that's a good uh, a good guy to like, and I'll be interested to see if he moves up at all as as the rankings kind of you know shake out a little bit more like you said i was i was the high man on him at 60 but it's not like i was that far ahead of of others a bunch of others had him right there in the 60s the low guy was 87 for brad so uh, brad johnson a little bit lower on him and i was the high guy at 60 so we'll see where kevin kiermeyer goes i do like him now let's talk about a couple guys that you're a little bit lower on, and we'll start with Chris Davis's teammate, Adam Jones, who comes in at 17th on the composite rankings. He's as high as 11th for Zach Sanders, who thinks, I guess, is uh, that Jones is going to have a bit of a rebound. You know, the rule, only thing that stopped Jones last year was that he didn't get the volume that we're used to seeing from him. This is another guy kind of like Alexi, where you can set it and forget it, and that volume uh, really drives his numbers. Not that his skills are bad or anything, but playing every single day is what helps him get up to the upper 20s, low 30s homers, drive in the runs, score the runs, and then the speed's been kind of gone now for a few years. Why are you a little bit more down on Adam Jones um, and his 17 ranking, and how far down would you go with him? So that, I mean, you know, the consistency going into the season, we talked about this guy, he's hit anywhere from 277 to 287 for, what, six straight seasons or something like that. Everything, you know, he's always going to be the impatient guy at the plate who doesn't take walks and strikes out the way he does. He can get himself out, but he had always played those games. And I think, I mean, one of the things when I look at the rating and say, okay, he is, is 17th overall, it's like he's played so much baseball. I know he's only 30 and a half, but it just, you know, he, the, the, the amount of baseball that he's played, I think, wears against him to me he's outside of my top 20 i know he's one spot ahead of lorenzo kane but i would easily flip that and i can move kane and we've talked about our love for kane i think kane's a top 15 he's a top 15 guy this year uh, for me even higher than that maybe even higher than that uh with that but with him when i look at who's behind him you know i we've already talked about moving chris davis up we can Mm -hmm. move chris davis up on there so maybe jones sneaks into the top 20 just he's in the past, he's always been a guy that seems to be gone by the third and fourth round. Not for me this year. I'm 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 there with you. I had him 21st, so I, I'm I'm not not down on Jones. I'm just not that high. I am looking to get a little bit more uh, of the dynamic players ahead of him, the guys who who probably can pack a little bit more on this year. Um, you know, not necessarily break out all the guys ahead. He's not going to run anymore. I mean, that that those days are gone. That's the thing. I don't. I I feel like he's not. Although here's the thing, I wouldn't put past somebody like Jones, a Brandon Phillips esque spike year where he just wants to prove that he can do it, so he goes out and gets 17 stolen bases. Again, you can't bank on that. You can't bake that into your projections. It's it's just one of those things where if it happened, you'd be like, yeah, that's Adam Jones. That doesn't really surprise. Got to get more. I mean, the thing is, the on base percentage is is dropping dangerously low. Three thirty four, three eighteen, three eleven, three oh eight. That's the thing. So it he's going to he's going to need a BABIP correction to do that. But that's part of the issue too. Is that's also where that used to be really steady. That dropped down to two eighty six last year. So maybe if there's a little bit of correction. But again, when you get over thirty, you're losing some of that foot speed. He's a big pull hitter. A lot of stuff's going to the other side, and he's got to try to leg that stuff out. Where he could do it at age 27, he's not able to do it at age 30. 
completely fair. And, and again, I agree with you. Got him 21st uh, among my outfielders. Now let's talk about another one, kind of on the other end of the spectrum. This is a young guy who I'm sure a lot of folks do see some growth from, but you're not quite as high on Christian Yelich, who we have 25th in the rankings with a high of 21 from Jeff Zimmerman and a low of 33 from Brad Johnson. I'm kind of right there in between them at 25, uh, which marries well with the actual ranking that he got when you average with average all of us out. So Christian Yelich at 25, you're a little bit cool on him. Tell me why. The swing. He, the ground 70%, ball swing. 70% of his, 70 of his batted balls go to center or the other direction. Oh, That's wow. when you look at it. We, his pull percentage last year was 32%. See, 41% up the middle, 28% to opposite field. And, and he keeps the ball down. He's always been above 61% or higher for his ground ball rate. So what you're saying is, that combined with the fields that he utilizes, that just does not profile for power, particularly no, in that state. Right, exactly. He's the Joe. He's the Joe Mauer of outfielders. He may. He's going to hit for batting average mm-hmm. because he's. You know, he makes good contact. He walk. He's got good plate discipline, so he can get on base. But for somebody who's been on base at a thirty-six percent clip each of the past two seasons, I'd expect. And for with his foot speed, I'd expect more stolen bases. But twenty-one in two thousand fourteen and sixteen last year, he missed a little bit of time, so that hurt him. But there's no power growth here unless he changes his swing. You're looking at a 24-year-old guy. So there should be – you're thinking, okay, 24, this is going to be his third full season in the major leagues. He's got you know 1,500 plate appearances. This is the time for him to shine. But a lot has to change for that to happen for his power. Now, he could be a 25 stolen base guy. The, everything else could be there. So the stolen bases you know, and the runs, if we look back to 2014 – that's where I would project to look at 2016, but it's really tough to see this guy hitting 15 plus home runs without a major rework of his swing. And if he does that, what is where are the other skills? What yeah. happens to his contact rate? Where does his batting average go? But he, this guy's an inside out swinging guy in a park that is not forgiving of that kind of approach. So Kiermaier needs to adopt this profile. Whereas Yelich, you know, I would love, he might hit 20 triples in that, <laughs> with that, with it, that it, kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I was making the same exact point last year on Yelich when I thought he was just going a little bit too high because people were projecting a power spike that it's just not in the cards with this profile. So much has to change. And I don't know why we would project those changes when we've got three years of what he's been doing. I'm I'm with you. I mean, the guy's been as steady as you can get at 117 WRC plus for all three of his seasons. His next double-digit home run incredible. season will be his first, though. So I like the average. I do like the speed, and I agree with you that that could go up because uh, he does maintain a good OBP. But where's the power coming from, and is this team good enough to give him any any good runs and RBI numbers? I mean, he did score 94 runs in 2014 when they played a bit bit better. Uh, Marcelo Zuno had a good year that year. Uh, Stanton obviously always good when he plays. I don't hate this Marlins team, but I feel like every freaking offseason we look at the Marlins and say, oh yeah, they can do some things and then they end up sucking. So I'm not falling for that again. I actually hear you on all of your uh, points against Yelich. I still had him 25th though because I feel like what he does offer is still right around 25. So maybe it's just a matter of you would be higher on some other guys around him than I am. But otherwise, for the, the actual points that you made, we see totally eye to eye there. And my issue with this is I don't, you know, when I'm thinking about this, I'm not looking at computing final fantasy dollars. So yeah. I haven't properly valued getting the stolen bases, the batting 
average have looked at it. But when I'm looking at potential upside, you know, give me Adam Eaton over Christian Yelich every day of the week. You know, that's a guy that I that I really, when I look down the list the list and see Adam Eaton at 30 and Christian Yelich at 25, I want to swap those guys immediately. That's completely fair. I love Adam Eaton. I'm, I'm very excited about his prospects this year. I was last year. Took a while to get going and then got going. We loved Eaton and Melky. They killed us for half the, the first half of the season, and then they finally got going when it was too late to really do anything. Yeah, let's just set up nicely when, when we look at Gordon by, Gordon in front of him and Stanton behind him. Mm-hmm. He set up nicely with Gordon on base. Uh, th- there's the opportunity for him to pull balls to the right-hand side because they gotta, they've got to hold Gordon on base. Forget about the types of pitches he's going to see because there's been enough work done about that where that's kind of, you know, you could look at it one way and look at it another. That said, there should be more real estate on the right side of the field if he wants to hit some of those ground balls to the pull side. Uh, you know, when they're looking to cover and with, you know, with him, it's a couple of ways if he's going to go oppo. For me, if as I'm looking at his bad in my head, I know for a fact a lot of his fly balls go the other way. For uh, and that's kind balls. of amazing. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's kind of amazing for him to hit for a high average with that rate because fly, fly balls of the opposite field are, are not a high, are, are not very, they don't work out too well. No, for you. Eno covered I know that Eno's recently. covered that, but yep. yeah, I remember listening to you guys talk about that. But yeah, that doesn't work out too well for you. But you know, for him, that field's big and he finds some gaps. So he's, I mean, there's a lot of good pieces here. He's set up nicely, but if he, if he gets to 15 home runs this year, something there's been a major change in his swing because with a you know four ground balls for every fly ball, he's got to score up the, a better percentage. Because right now, I think his home run to fly ball rate's been about 12. percent That's got to get to 20. Yeah, I, th- I think that's well said, and he's just not in a park to steal some homers either. That's the thing. Playing in Miami, Yelich is not going to have a good chance, really, to even uh, you know snake a few uh, cheapies. It just doesn't really happen in that ballpark. All right, Jason, let's talk. Uh, let's get some Twitter and email questions here and then uh, wrap up with a little bit of fun time about Parks and Rec. First email is from John, and uh, he's curious. He says, listen, it's possible for me to end up because of keepers with the Grom, Harvey, and Syndergaard in a five-man rotation. I play in a points league where wins are worth seven points and QS are worth three points. Would you steer clear of this scenario because of how invested I would be in the Mets having a, a, to win three games a week? Curious to hear your thoughts. Jason, I'll open it up to you. Well, let's talk specifically about these three guys because I think that matters. The fact that these are three studs. It's one thing to just say, what about three you know, solid to uh, above average guys on, on one team? But what about three studs, three aces on one team? Are you steering clear because of that, or do you not care because they're just too damn good? I frankly don't care, but if we think back to what we talked about during the offseason, uh, during, during the playoffs, if, if you are tempted to move one of these dudes, Syndergaard. We talked about the workload, about how much – and we you – know, the workload he jumped and the work he did in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my fear. If you, if, if this guy, I frankly, I don't care about having three guys on the same team. Not me neither. That said, if you want to move a guy, that's the guy, all the points that we made back in October talking about workload, I'm going to make him. I'd, I'd say the same thing again here. The other team that I would be in, willing to do this with for sure would be Cleveland. I'd be, I'd be fine with Kluber. Oh, God, yes. and I'd take all five of the guys at Cleveland. Yeah. That, that they've got even more. Um, but yeah, In general, John, I don't think that you have to be worried about having three guys from the same team when it's studs like this. Just focus on the fact that they're studs. 
you know, the wins will kind of shake out where they do. I understand that wins being worth seven points, you do need W's, but the Mets are good. Now, if, the, if this was the Mets team, you know, just coming into last year when we didn't know what their offense was going to be, and I know that they don't have all the pieces that made that offense click in the second half, namely Cespedes and Daniel Murphy being gone, but I think that they'll be good enough to where you should feel comfortable having them. Um, I totally hear you, though. If, if you were going to move one of them, for 2016, Syndergaard is probably the one that you would look to move the other two. Um, I would, I, I don't really want to move any of them, but if I am moving one to kind of move off of that three guys on one team thing, if it really bothers you, John, then see what you can get for Syndergaard. All right, our second email is from Jerry. Now, he's switching from draft to auction with keepers. Good. I have a question I'm hoping you can answer because I have been racking my brain and can't come to a decision. I'm the commissioner of a 10-team head-to-head points league that is coming up on its ninth season. Nice work, Jerry. I love when leagues have some nice history. It's it's one of the toughest things to do, even in the Internet age with fantasy sports, is to keep a league together really build some history so that's good uh since the start we have been doing a snake draft but we are finally ready to make the jump to auction format only problem is everyone wants to keep their keepers and not start from scratch do you have any suggestions on moving to the new format and keeping the keepers we have been doing four keepers without any penalty and i can't think of a way to properly make the switch should i set every keeper at x dollars maybe use espn 2015 values for everyone's keepers any suggestion will be greatly appreciated love your insight and the podcast keep up the great work jerry all right jason i love a question like this because it is something that i think a lot of leagues first off they might just slough the idea all together if they're in a keeper league that wants to switch to auction because they don't want to deal with the hassle because it, it can be a bit of a hassle but i do think that everyone should switch to auction if their league is willing and interested because it is the best format so what do you got for jerry as a, as a you know a fair way to kind of make this change over while keeping the keepers intact. All right. So I think a fair way uh, is to assign, to assign a dollar value based on round. So if you had this guy as a first round pick, he's $23 for you. If okay. you had him as a 23rd round pick, he's a dollar keeper for okay, you. I like that. that way, that way it rewards you for doing your work. So if you drafted a 20th round stud. Let's say you took Kevin Pillar last year in the 20th round. You have them for Three four dollars. Four bucks, yeah, four bucks. Four bucks. You have them for four bucks. You should be rewarded for that. You shouldn't be penalized because if you took a twentieth round Kevin Pillar last year, and if you look at his value for this year, they may have him ranked nineteen dollars. All of a sudden, you're like, man, come on, it, wh- what's the gain from that? But if you do it, if you assign the reverse dollar value for that, I think it's really tough to argue against that. If you're making the switch, I think it's a nice, fair way to reward people for the work that they've done at the same time they're not losing value of their current guys Two things. now the issue is the issue is does jerry have the, the the draft history does he know when these guys were drafted exactly and the other thing i would say here the other thing if we're talking about guys that were mid-season pickups Boom. anything That's you gotta you know maybe flat five dollars maybe five ten bucks something maybe you know 10. something there I just say they're like the like a 12th round pick or something like that because if you would think about this I, a lot of the the leagues that i've played in if you try to keep somebody that was that you picked up the middle of the year, I think we were charged uh, like an old fan ball league that we have. We we still play every year. I believe we're charged a 12th or a 15th round draft choice for doing that. And that and that's fair. Yeah, I would say something flat like a five or a ten dollar, kind of depending on how it goes. One of that was one question I had. The other would be though, is 23 too low for the first round guys? 
um, because obviously they're they're gonna they would go for more. And so, do you create kind of crazy inflation if you do? Do you have to do a different kind of scale where you can't just go twenty three to one? Do you have to start with like thirty and then kind of work it? You know, what I'm thinking of in my head is you like could how tear you could it. You could tear it out, but to your point. There's already going to be crazy inflation in this league because every true. time you make the jump from from uh, a snake draft to auction, nobody really knows how to properly value it. I've seen it happen a ton of times. The first time dudes are in auction, they leave money on the table. Hell, there's a guy in my local league. I think JD listens to this show. His team is called 42 on the table because he left $42 <laughs> the first auction. JD also won the league last year, so you know he knows what he's doing what about uh, this? With, with this. But yeah, I see it happen all the time. Dudes that get in their first auctions don't don't know what they're doing and they and they, they they don't spend enough they're like oh my god I'm not spend $34 on this guy and then all of a sudden they're like oh man I'm sitting on money and they start blowing things so inflation is going to be a problem it's like no matter what that you're right and that's a good point so what about this you do the 23 to 1 that you're saying and anyone kept this year can only be kept this year that's good and so that way you get those cuz you know goldschmidt or, at 23 or, no Let's, let's go one step further. You're going to keep them this X year. Round. This is their option year. This is, okay. You want to extend them? You extend them now. That I way, like that, that gets them up there. So if you got the $23 first round pick and you're like, but he's worth more, you're worried about inflation. You want to keep him three years? Now he's worth $33 to you. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know how it is in mine. You're 23 plus the two option years. So he's 23 oh, okay. this year. Yeah, add the five, add the five. Yeah, I was doing so now he's $33. You've got him for the next three years. So I, that's like the that. way That's the way you can counteract inflation. I like that. Jerry, I, I hope that helps because I think those are some, some good scenarios to enact. Or another, another spin on that, if you were worried about kind of too many of the stars being kept, then start it at a particular round. Now – that does muddy things up because you said you wanted to keep the integrity of all the keepers that you guys right. already have. So maybe that one's on. And the other thing, the other thing I would, I can't uh, stress enough, the auction calculator that we have, make yes. sure when you're making that switch, you have to make sure that you've properly uh, accounted for the value that's being kept. So you know what to spend at the draft table in some of the other leagues. When we first made the switch, I, one of the things that I used to love to do uh, in some of the early leagues was buy the first couple of players because people would never oh, yeah, properly so account crazy. for inflation. And they're like, I'm not paying $34. This is back in a rods prime, but I'm not paying 34. And all of a sudden people are dropping 45 on the next tier guy because you know, the, the few of us early on that knew what we were doing were grabbing guys below the projected values on the thing. So please use that auction calculator, folks. Account for the value that's being kept so you don't end up with too much money and just start blowing through stuff just so you don't leave $42 on the table. Usually – um, when particularly when you're in a new auction, the, the way to do it is to buy very early and then very late. Get in early because like you said, the things are settling. People are kind of getting their footing. A lot of times those prices are, are way too good. And then after like the first even like seven or eight guys, maybe try to get two or three of them, then bow out for a while. It, it kind of fixes itself and then gets nuts. It gets kind of nuts after that. Once everyone kind of gets comfortable, maybe gets a player on the team, then it can get – crazy and you see mid-tier guys going five six seven dollars more than they should and then it comes back around at the end so buy early and buy late jerry good luck let us know what you choose go ahead and email us back that's sleeperpod at gmail.com if you want to get your question read i went and answered a bunch of them this morning if you send keeper questions chances are i'm probably uh just gonna respond to it as opposed to putting it on the on the show there might be times that we do keeper questions but for the most part those are pretty confined to just 
you know your league and your setup so they don't have as much widespread value but I will still try to email, uh, answer as many of them as I can in the email box all right Jason let's wrap up and talk a little bit about one of our favorite shows Parks and Recreation a little bit of off topic fun here because you mentioned that you're watching it for the third time through is that right I am. Now, I've only seen it, what I would say, I definitely watched the whole first run, one of my favorite shows, and then I've probably done another about half run. I've probably seen all the other episodes, uh, or half the episodes another second time here and there, and then, of course, I'll catch it on syndication. I probably need to do another top-to-bottom run. It's a great show. Um, but there was a specific piece related to that show that uh, you you acquired you acquired a new piece of memorabilia related to Parks and Recreation. Do you want to let those of us who watch the show know what that is? Yes, I acquired the little Sebastian. I met little Sebastian at the Pawnee Harvest Festival shirt. <laughs> yes. uh, and for anybody who has not seen the show, little Sebastian is this little pony with this gorgeous blonde mane that everybody freaks the hell out when he's brought up and it's just the, you know, the hyperbole of why is this horse so special? <laughs> uh, but it's, it was a shirt that I picked up on eighties tees.com. I saw it for 10 bucks. I'm like, I'm definitely buying this shirt because it's normally $25. And I am a t-shirt junkie. I was just when I saw this shirt, oh, I'm a total t-shirt junkie. I love t-shirts. And, uh, and when, as soon as I saw it, I'm, I must have this. The only thing I was mad about is it showed up in the mail while I was gone in Orlando this week for my sales meeting. Cause I wanted to, I wanted to wear it out during the sales meeting because it's one of these it's it's a shirt where I wore it the other day uh, I went and took my kids to go see the Peanuts movie on Sunday and I wore it to the theater and the guy's looking at that he goes where's Pawnee I'm like oh you haven't seen this show this sucks <laughs> that's really funny I, I I wear a lot of uh, cool t-shirts I guess I think they're cool that's up to everybody else if they really are but I'm, I'm with you I'm a t-shirt junkie really like getting cool ones of the pop culture stuff that I like my favorite one is probably a uh, dark purple one with the crystal ship on it and for those of you that yep. didn't see Breaking Bad that would be the uh, the RV that they made crystal meth in and with very big fan of that, that shirt. you wear that to the AFL game when I damn wore the right never fingers. you're damn right I did <laughs> that's my other favorite shirt <laughs> so which, which which one's your other favorite shirt the never bunt hit dingers oh, the yeah, one that was great you wore that one to the all-star game yes that one was on tv when it was on tv all night long yeah when, yes. when we sat behind the dish you had never bunt hit dingers great shirt by the way you got a lot of comments on that i want the one that brian kenny had on on mlb network which was i think bunting with the circle and the line through it I think that's what he had, or say no to bunt, something like that. It was in that same realm. I got the Jose Bautista bat flip shirt for Christmas. And I'm super jealous of that. I did get a print of it that I still need to frame and put up. So I do have my piece of, of Jose Bautista uh, bat flip memorabilia, but I, I think I need a shirt. I kind of wanted to get that sweater that they had. They had the uh, Christmas sweater. I, I, I don't I, – I know they're called ugly Christmas sweaters, but they're not ugly. It was it was so cool. The the way they're making them these days, they're no longer ugly. They're just cool Christmas sweaters. They're almost overdone, is what yeah, they are. That that's true. That's true. They they definitely are. Now, one uh, of my favorite tweets this weekend was Jose Bautista should be flipping the coin at the Super Bowl yes. after the after the coin flipping debacle the I, other day. I saw that uh, as well, and I totally agreed with it. Yeah, yeah. My wife did pretty good between the noise canceling earbuds that she got me. Uh, and the Jose Bautista T-shirt. I had pretty good, damn good Christmas. I was gonna say that sounds like a uh, quite a haul there. 
Absolutely. Two of the things, pretty much the only things I submitted on my list where I want these and I want this shirt, and, and it came through uh, with that. But yeah, total t-shirt junkie. But and I've got what the the Edwin Encarnacion parrot shirt. Love that, that I, one. You wore that one to Arizona. Yeah, and I've got the couple of shirts that I pick up from the Chive, the Bill Murray. Uh, yeah, yes. I've got a few of those as well. And uh, but I, I just need t-shirt weather to come back is what I need. That's the thing. And for me, you know, that's not even coming for a couple months later than it comes for you. So I'm 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 jealous of you. I, I it needs to be like 80 for me to just wear a t-shirt. But um, one of my favorite ones, it's uh, it's two oranges. And they look like the Pulp Fiction guys. They're, they're holding their guns out. And not everyone gets it, but the people who get it, they absolutely love it. Um, so, yeah, the, what, Jules and what's I, uh, yeah, I forgot. Um... I can't. I can't remember that. I, I'm. I'm. I'm not a diehard Pulp Fiction guy. I actually really like Quentin Tarantino, but I, I don't know enough about Pulp Fiction to know all their names by heart. I don't remember that kind of stuff very well, so don't take that as I don't know anything about uh, movies and stuff. I just don't remember Vincent. the characters' names. Sorry, Vince. Jules and Vincent. Vincent. You're right, Vincent. Vince Vega. Remember the whole Vince Vega thing? Um, but you're. I know you're a big Jersey guy. What are your last couple of Jerseys that you bought? So the ones that I've, I've been loving are the ones that uh, are super soft. Like they make them so premium these days. And I got you Darvish for that. And probably my best one is the Brooklyn Jackie Robinson one. Oh, nice. That one never fails to get a few comments. Um, and I also, in Houston, the last time I went to a, an Astros game when they played the Tigers, I got a George Springer one. And oh, so th those are my three most recent acquisitions. Might have to get a Kevin Kiermaier one this year in case he uh, in case he beasts out. You know, my most obscure one, you'll appreciate this one, uh, obviously had to be custom made, is an Andy Sonnenstein <laughs> jersey <laughs> because I freaking loved Andy Sonnenstein. <laughs> The ultimate, what do you call the the man of leisure? There was a whole thing that we did at D-Ray's Bay about uh, the me and the man of leisure because he was something that uh, he liked ping pong. He was professional gentleman of leisure sport, something That's along hilarious. those lines. But he was this man of leisure and he liked ping pong and uh, that was his leisure sport uh, <laughs> that he did. But there's this whole story. We all loved him here too. Well, he, he kept having these great strikeout to walk ratios that suggested that, you know, and he, right as FIP was really kind of becoming a, a, a thing, he was putting up FIPs that were well, well beyond his ERA, but kind of had that, that inflated sense of uh, Ian Kennedy-itis where he didn't walk anybody, but he gave up a crap ton of homers and hits. So uh, he had a lot more control than command, and it just never really got going for Sonnenstein. Then I think he kind of flamed out because of injuries as well. So. Well, he, sure. was he was barely breaking glass when yeah, he, was, that's the thing. he, when he, he did pitch. So that was the other issue. It was like he threw so soft and he had to be so fine. And I think Ben Francisco just shocked his career. <laughs> ben Francisco was something like 10 of 8 off him with 24 homers. And I'm not exaggerating either. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yes, that, 10 I of 8 with 24 home runs. No, no, that, that, that's a great joke that is not lost on me. I've, I've said jokes like that before where I say more hits than at-bats and People don't get it. I'm like, I'm kidding. Uh, okay, here's what Ben Francisco did. This is brutal. You nailed it, by the way. He was eight for nine, 10 plate appearances, with five yep. bombs, 12 RBIs, and of course, I one told you. <laughs> oh, and one of the other hits was a double. So five homers and a double of the eight. And if I recall, if I recall, the double was off the fence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> That's really crazy. Like, yeah, he owned him like a rod did well against sonnenstein he was he was eight for 18 with three bombs adam jones did pretty well six for 14 with three bombs but ben francisco dude ben francisco actually 
this is weird. I, I don't even know. You don't usually see this, but when Andy Sonnenstein was going to retire, Ben Francisco offered to train him to get him healthier and make sure that he was still pitching. It was a very weird thing, but I think it was because Ben Francisco wanted to keep his own career open. There were a couple things with there was I, I think the and, and they stopped facing each other after 2009. I think that there, he went four straight plate appearances hitting a home run off him, and I remember oh. like yelling at the TV when Joe Madden would leave him in, and I'm like, no. Yeah, you cannot. And, it would, and it would happen. Thing is, that most of the time, one of them came and uh, it was a one nothing game. But then there's another one. They were always down. There was one that, the, that he hit a single off. And I swear that he asked for the baseball. Sonnenstein was like, no, I want that baseball. Please keep it in here. I, I could have swore That's he waved hilarious. it. Well, there's um, only but two But yeah, the singles. first one. Yeah, the first one was a double. It says line drive to deep left field line. I'm almost certain that was off the wall. Then it was home run, walk, single, pop fly to short. Then home run, home run, home run, home run. <laughs> so. That is dominance. I mean, I'm sure there's something out there. I don't really know how to find it, but I'm curious if anyone from like a minimum of 10 plate appearances, does anyone have a more dominant uh, ownage of a, of a particular pitcher? I, I think Paul Goldschmidt on, on Tim Lincecum might be close, but that's the only one that I can think of off the top of my head. That That's, that's brutal. Dang, that was brutal. Ben Francisco, nice pull there. I remember Ben Francisco. He was nothing more than a fourth outfielder, but he had his moments, namely against Andy Sonnenstein. Yep. Anyway, Jason, that's it for us. We'll be back next week, probably on Sunday. Uh, we're still kind of getting back into the group. We'll do it early because it's championship Sunday next week. Ooh, and I yeah, know that's I, right. I want to I watch the, uh, the NFC championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll either have to do it early or on Monday because I'm going to my buddies to watch that game. So, yeah, keep that in mind, folks. If you don't see it on Sunday night, then it'll probably come on Monday. But we'll try to get it done Sunday morning and have it up. Uh, stay tuned for all the rankings. That we'll be rolling them out this week. We're going to do starters and I think shortstops also this week. And then every day next week, the rest of the positions. We're giving outfielders and starting pitchers two days to breathe each since they're so deep. Uh, kind of get that conversation going. So feel free to check those out. Leave your comments if you disagree with – by the way, I just want to say if you disagree with somebody on where they're ranked or whatever, make your case. I, I, I don't want to hear that this guy should be higher. This sucks. That doesn't do any good. It's very early. There are definitely – cases to be made for guys being like i said you you, you convinced me on chris davis i underranked him i need him higher 22 is too low based on those other guys that i have ahead of him there are cases to be made so if you just disagree with somebody that's totally fine but but lay out your case if you think jorge soler needs to be higher you know i'm sure he'll be in the comments all day yeah, i think we've backed it up on this show with with uh opinions and numbers yeah yeah absolutely it's it, it, it's a mix and i'm i'm more than open to hearing about somebody having to be moved up or down. I just want to hear why, not because it sucks or this sucks or that sucks. Just make a case. Anyway, Jason, we'll get out. We'll talk next week for sure. Enjoy the rest of your week. And, and yep, see you guys. <laughs>